and welcome to episode 124 of the NFL Scotland podcast. Week 10 is in the history books. We will never see it again. The same might be said of Drew Brees. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. Who knows what awaits us over the next month or so? So many exciting things to talk about. We couldn't just make it. Cameron and I, we had to extend it. Gordon McGuinness from PFF. Charles Patterson from Sky Sports, part of the extended NFL Scotland family. We don't care what tier we're in. We're all together. If Nicola's listening, we're in separate households. Okay, that enough for you? Fine. Let's get on with it. <laughs> let's get on with it indeed. And let's start by looking back the way. Uh, so, gentlemen... It was an entertaining week 10, I think, overall. Um, obviously, the the whole thing ended, well, we'll not count uh, Sunday night football, Monday night football, because both the games were rubbish. But um, what we will say is, you know, the, 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 the heavy mid to late evening in the US schedule, which had a plethora of games, ended on an absolute high with the DeAndre Hopkins, Hail Mary, uh, catch absolutely sensational stuff um and closed off an, an entertaining week when it comes to storylines and that's part of the reason why we've got together here so let's start there first of all and talk about that play and let's just because gordon i know how much you know you've, you've pondered over this and i know you sit on the fence with this but um i mean getting david johnson out of that trade wasn't completely horrible was it it's the, the most horrible it, it was it's not any more horrible now, though, than it was back then. We knew it was dreadful. There were you know, things Bill O'Brien said, and you know, people tried to write to paint the Texans in a good light, and this, that, and the next thing. And you lost arguably the best receiver in the NFL, at worst, in the top three, for a running back and a third round pick, or a running back and a second, whatever it was. And every single week it just compounds how bad that was. <laughs> but that game, that game between the Cardinals and the Bills, anyway, right? The, the final play was sensational. The whole thing felt like playoff football. The whole thing had all of the grandeur, all of the big-time plays, all of the drama, the swinging back and forward of a playoff game. It was high-octane entertainment all the way through. It's, new era. It's a new era, isn't it? Yeah. Um, quarterbacks who are young, fresh... Um, who are not afraid to do dangerous things, run around, throw daft throws. I don't think Josh Allen did much wrong. Um, and I don't think the Bills did a whole lot wrong, apart from failed to bottle up Murray. Um, it's just exciting to have new teams to talk about, isn't it? I think it's good. It's like, the, as well as it being good young quarterbacks, it's teams that are doing really smart things as well. The Bills have done really smart things all throughout the year. The Cardinals were bold enough to, you know, go back to the quarterback well with Kyler Murray when they drafted Josh Rosen in the top 10 the year before. And then you're now seeing it actually on the field as well. Two teams who've been uh, rewarded for being bold in the last couple of years. Paul, from the outset, you know, these are two quarterbacks who've been making headlines this year. The, the season started, it was all about Russell Wilson, the revenge tour of Aaron Rodgers, and there's still very much a story there. But, you know, we've seen Burroughs coming in as the number one overall pick. We've seen Justin Herbert going in uh, much earlier than we anticipated. It was all about Tua. But actually, here's a couple of guys that have been kicking around the league for a while and are improving. And that's fantastic for our point of view as viewers of this game, that we're going to get thrilling plays like this from teams that we're not used to seeing it from. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of the whole draft system. You get your chance, and if you get it right, you can really strike gold. If you get it wrong, uh, Jets, for example, spring to mind as a team that constantly get it wrong, then, then you're in big trouble. But everybody gets that chance. If you've been so bad, you've got a chance to be so good. Now, on the Kyler Murray thing, you can tell he's a baseball player, can't you? Because he was able to throw across his body with such velocity. Uh, Russell Wilson's a baseball player. Uh, Patrick Mahomes' dad was a professional baseball player. There's a certain angle that these guys have got because of their upbringing as solid baseball players that give them just that little bit extra. I think it's key because I think we've only talked about Burroughs and the fact that he keeps getting clattered. If he is going to step up and be a good quarterback, we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, he's got to learn to throw the ball away and not take the hits. Now, to me at the moment, the other quarterbacks that we've mentioned seem to be able to do that. There seems to be an element of self-preservation about it. And on that play, if you've not heard uh, Dave Pach and Ron Wolfsey, the Arizona radio call, it's phenomenal. It is brilliant radio. Uh, it's also worthwhile listening to the Buffalo call as well because they couldn't quite believe it either. <laughs> and it was it was high entertainment. Um, let's have a look at some of the other ones though. And another game that was high entertainment, although probably at the less relevant end of the whole conversation, was between Washington and the Detroit Lions. And you know, Washington, Alex Smith coming in and making his first start in a long time, and certainly the first start since he does since his injury. I couldn't help but feel myself rooting for him. And then they just blew it at the end. Chase Young obviously showing a little bit of his, of his inexperience, giving away that that penalty late on. Uh, Matt Prater, though, you can't argue with his performance. And as a kicker, he's sensational. Uh, nailed it. Absolutely nailed it from 59 yards. You know, that's a high-pressure kick, no matter what way you're looking at it, even if you've not got much to play for in the grand scheme of the season. Uh, and a good win for Detroit. We were talking about Matt Patricia. Um, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before about him potentially being on the hot seat. It's wins like that that actually may prolong the career of Matt Patricia as the head coach of the Detroit Lions. Pro- prolong the suffering for the Detroit Lions, <laughs> Exactly. I, I, I felt for them on that. I mean, I think I said in our WhatsApp chat, uh, WhatsApp chat, Lions going to Lion because that's what they're like at the moment. You wouldn't trust them with the lead any more than you would trust the Atlanta Falcons. So there's no way I think that's a good... That that is bittersweet. I think that snapped an eight-game, seven-game home losing streak or something, which is pretty hard to do in the NFL. They're just a game out of uh, the playoff picture, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a pretty picture for them. They've actually got a very tasty schedule over the next three or four weeks. I think they've got the Texans on Thanksgiving. So you can see them getting to five and five and making a right royal arse of it. But <laughs> um, they are actually, if Stafford actually upped his game a little bit, they could cause teams problems. But the NFC, uh, we've been having a bit of chit chat about how um, average the NFC is. And I think the NFC is that average across certain areas that I, I think the Detroit Lions are a viable wild card option. I don't think there's any question about it. I, I think, yeah, their schedule's pretty tough, I think, is the only thing. You look at who they've still got to play. They've got the Texans, right? That's a winnable game because the Texans are bums. Uh, the Panthers, it'll depend if McCaffrey's back or not. They've got the Vikings, they've got the Titans, they've got the Bucks, and they've got the Packers. They're pretty tough games. The Bears, though, is now a winnable game because they're bums on attack as well. It's just... Always a winnable game. Oh, Always it's a winnable just, game. I mean, it's just... It's, I, 
I don't know if there's anything Let's I'm not more... Them. No, I just but... don't know if there's anything I'm more disappointed in than the Chicago Bears. I just... Ugh. Even Khalil Mack's not even fun to watch anymore, other than the odd little play here and there. Uh, credit to Kirk Cousins, by the way, for the tackle. But um, it's just... There's not, there's not a lot of fun to be had in Chicago. Uh, and I'm definitely pleased I'm not a Bears fan, I'll be sure. Well, the, you're, go- you're going to the wrong place if you can't find fun in Chicago, but that's another <laughs> for another podcast. It's time for a Mitchell Bowl prediction. Jim Harbaugh will be in charge of the Bears next year. Oofed. Oofed. Specifically? Is like yeah. bur- burger bet specific? He, he, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you. He's, he, he said a couple of years ago there was only two coaching jobs that he re- always wanted. He coveted. One was Michigan. The other was Chicago for whatever reason. I mean, must, must have a death wish or something. But <laughs> he is a good, solid coach. And if Chicago continued to flush. Now, I picked Chicago to beat Minnesota. I was listening to the game last night. It's everything you want. You've got the ball. Gordon says this. You've got the ball in your hands with a chance to win the game. Foles gets knocked out. The new quarterback, I don't know quite where he was throwing the ball. He looked like <laughs> you guys are too young to remember the, the robot they used to spin to give you the right answer on a magnetic game. This thing just used to go left, right, wildly. That's what he looked like. So um, that's the kind of defeat. And Charles mentioned that, you know, the Lions winning might save someone these defeats will get you sacked and Matt Nagy is in real trouble in Chicago. Yeah, 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 indeed. Um, okay, other headlines from the weekend. Colts kind of cruised past the Titans, both those teams 6-3. and three. That was quite a tasty one for the postseason picture and we will come on to some postseason chat. Ronald Jones had a 98 yard rushing touchdown the longest in Tampa Bay history as the bucket uh, the Buccaneers sorry the Panthers lost uh, Terry, Terry Bridgewater um, obviously it'll be interesting to see how long he's actually out for Buccaneers in one of those games where they're, the Bucs are either absolutely on it or a little bit pish. In fact, a little bit pish. Absolutely no, that, stinking. That, that's, that, <laughs> that's not true. That's not true. They're either absolutely on it or they're playing the Saints. <laughs> Can I just say, I can't believe you've missed out the, the game of the week so far, uh, which was obviously the Texans 7, the Browns 10. Now, if we hadn't had this wonderful pandemic, that was in theory the NFL Scotland 2020 trip. Uh, which we were going to go to Ohio, we were going to go to Canton, we were going to see a college game. We'd identified the Texans-Browns because of Jamie, etc., playing there and possibly then on to Soldier Field for the Monday night game. Um, 7-10 in torrential rain. Hey, I think we got lucky. I think we got lucky avoiding that Monday night game as well, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Probably, imagine going all that way and seeing those two games back to back. I know, I Jeez. When... So- uh- when we're talking about the the Buccaneers, uh, how many wins do the Buccaneers have just now? Seven. Se- seven. Okay, so so they're close to being above eight and eight, like within two weeks. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Here we go. They are. I listen. I've not been saying much about this because I've pretty much I, conceded defeat. Well, this let's point. talk about it. How are they, how is that um that prediction for their uh, close? end of season run looking I mean they're not meant to fall to the Lions and everybody else in the last three weeks so I did have them 6 there's and no, 4 there's so much room for manoeuvre here isn't I there? did have them 6 and 4 at this point um, I definitely did have them 6 and 4 and I thought you know what they're, they're, they're going to struggle on the way out I think you know what I'm needing now is a a double Falcons win against them, which is somewhat perhaps unlikely, I think, in the grand scheme of things. Um, and actually, you look at the schedule for the Buccaneers, and it's still classed as the 11th toughest. They've still got to play the Chiefs, which is, I, I think, now a fascinating game to see what they can do against Kansas City. They've still got to play 
the Rams. They've got to play the uh, the Vikings, who are on the ascendancy. Um, it's those last three. So I, I still think they lose those three. I still think they lose to LA, they lose to Kansas City, and they lose to Minnesota. And I think that it's two games against the Falcons and the Detroit Lions that are going to ultimately swing this to a 10 and 6. Six. And I'm going to be down. Way off 8 and 8. Which is way <laughs> off 8 and 8. And I'm going to be thankful that it's limited my burger budget. It's a lot of burgers. It definitely is a lot of burgers. It's more burgers than I'd want to be buying, that's for sure. Uh, and just going back over this, I do believe it is uh, Paul, Gordon, Charles, and Charles Dagnall as well. So, that you know, that's four burgers per win over the eight and eight so that's eight burgers that would cost me i can live right now i'll 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 accept it right now i'll accept eight burgers and not one more than that because i think it could be 16 burgers i think there's a serious like there's a heart attack risk in here somewhere for somebody if i end up buying all these burgers it might be me i won't be eating any of them it might be a financial brought on one um but the you know the cholesterol involved here is just irresponsible and i think that we need to maybe as punishment we might just actually make you eat them all in one sitting. <laughs> just for the idiotic nature of this bet. I don't that would be was... much pleasure than anything else. I don't think it was idiotic. I still stand by I still think he had a lot to do. They've chucked everything they possibly can at him. He's come up against fortune as well. There was no McCaffrey. If McCaffrey had been in that game, I reckon that the Panthers would have beat them. The Panthers had nothing on offense uh, in the run game. Mike Davis was... Uh, and nothing McCaffrey wouldn't have done that McCaffrey would have been like swinging clotheslines at people and stuff like that all just... right all right right so Scott, Scotland won and we've brought back backers yes sir I can boogie so for you Cameron we're going to go back to 1974 to bring back your new song that is going to be your song for the rest of the season Telly Savalas had a number one song with a song entitled F <laughs> so that's all we're getting from you F F F F Pay up with the burgers. This is what this is all about, ifs. It's not done until it's done. Um, Right, we'll move on. The Packers managed to get to a victory over the Jags. It was a little bit closer. The weather playing absolute havoc there. But um, an amazing uh, kick return as well from Keelan Cole. It was quite impressive. But the Packers did what they needed to do. The boy Luton, I'm quite impressed with the boy Luton. I think he's got a lot of upside to him for somebody that we didn't really know anything about. And beyond that, the Giants suddenly relevant in the NFC least. Um, obviously, the Eagles still top that at the moment, but that's looking like a... It's, it's crap, but it's interesting, so we'll give them that. The Steelers have won 10 straight games against Cincinnati. They've won nine straight games this season, 9-0 for the first time ever. <laughs> they march on. Again, we'll come to them. We covered the Bills Cardinals. The Raiders cruise to victory over the Broncos. Uh, the Broncos not having a great time. Um, you know, they hadn't been winning in Oakland. They're not winning in, in LA either. The Rams then, yeah, silenced the Seahawks to a large extent. Russell Wilson did not look like himself. I think that Russell Wilson looked flustered as the Rams blitzed. They brought pass rushers, uh, and it really looked like Russell Wilson struggled to, to cope with that. DK Metcalf kept very quiet by Jalen Ramsey. Um I actually wanted Metcalf to win that one because I cannot stand Jalen Ramsey, but hey-ho. Interesting to see that the Seahawks can be stopped through the air. Fascinating. The Saints obviously came back, had to come back, uh, took a big, horrible refereeing call um, and a 
and the and the future number one quarterback to come in and do this. But you know, the Niners started well. I was actually fairly impressed at how it started for San Francisco. Never anticipated it would last, but I think the manner in which it was spilled up on punt muffs is was disappointing, to be perfectly honest. I agree, and I apologise to you for us pulling our quarterback at halftime over the leading position just to take the piss out of you. I thought that was uncalled for, and on behalf of the city of New Orleans, I would like to apologise for taking the piss out of you. That's fine. Get your cheap shots in now, because it's coming back tenfold. Um, The Ravens, talking about cheap shots, uh, the Patriots, Cam Newton, did what he needed to do. Obviously, the rain had a big factor there, but, you know, the Ravens... No, it didn't. Absolute garbage. I'm going to get right in here now. It was the same for both teams. Absolute hogswash. The rain did not play a part. Hang on, hang on. It was not the same for both teams. It was the same. Also, hang on, was... Did the rain blow harder when Baltimore were on the field? But on the fight, on the final drive, it did. I, I, I agree, though. The, the weather was not the reason why the Ravens lost. But I will, I will take my my pain. The fact that Cameron even tried to give you an excuse. I no, I just it, it was a factor. It was a factor. I'm not saying that's the reason. It was. It was. It was a factor in a cam and the Patriots having the best defensive game in about six weeks. Uh, first time in 32 games that the Ravens have scored under 20 points, which is quite the statistic. You know, you're used to seeing points. Um, but yeah, the, the Ravens were pretty disappointing. The run games just disappeared. Like, Mark Ingram's obviously just coming back from injury. J.K. Dobbins, I'm not really sure what's going on there because I was, I thought he was probably one of the most exciting running backs coming into the season. And Gus Edwards is probably the best of the bunch right now. It's Gordon, where'd you go from here? So the mistake the Ravens made last this offseason was what a lot of teams do in that you think that because you're a good team, you don't need to be sensible the way you draft. And you know, you can the Ravens think they need a running back because Mark Ingram's probably not going to be there next year. You know, they want a running back to finish runs. They then in the second in the uh, third round drafted a guard. Uh, in the first round, they drafted a linebacker, and linebackers generally struggle as rookies. The year before, last season, the Ravens were lucky in about four different ways. They didn't suffer injuries at all. There was no serious injury apart from, I think, Tavon Young, the slot cornerback, got hurt. Uh, they also, the rate at which they converted fourth and ones was astronomically high, and it only came back to bite them in the playoffs. Uh, and they just in general got a little bit lucky. They didn't have the same turnovers that they had the year before and stuff like that. They then went into a draft and didn't draft a wide receiver until the third round. They used a second round pick and a running back. Patrick Queen's terrible right now. The, their first round linebacker had the worst game I've seen from a linebacker in my life on Sunday night. You've obviously not been watching Green Bay games for the last 10 years. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> if, go, go and watch how he did in this game. So there was a Ravens fan who got annoyed at me suggesting this and told me that the reason why he actually wasn't that bad is because he didn't miss a tackle. There's about five different plays in that game where the reason why he doesn't miss a tackle is because despite the fact that the run came straight up the gap he was in, a blocker had already taken him and moved him five yards from that point. He also bit on the Rex Burkhead, made him look like an absolute muppet. Rex Burkhead's not some absolute superstar athlete. 
there's someone has to shout to him on that play that there is, and he knows because he stops and then he somehow can't catch up to him. So he was he. If I had to say one player was responsible for that loss, it's Patrick Queen. Oof, that's a bit. That's a bit mean on a young rookie who's been guided by an experienced smash mouth team. You know that's got this reputation for playing tough football. I'm going to chip in here. I'm looking back at my uh, WhatsApp trail from the last couple of days, and Gordon has. Um, put a couple of messages in about an AFC North team being quote-unquote horribly overrated and exposed as frauds in January. Now, he's not referring to the Ravens, but he might as well be. Let's be frank. Baltimore are soft. They're not the Baltimore of Ray Lewis and Ed Reed. They are not a team that you can bank on in a crisis. Lamar Jackson has never come from 10 points down to win a game. You're going to win the Super Bowl with talent, with toughness, and with good coaching. Now, they've got a great coach. They've got the talent, but they don't have the toughness. They are soft. They don't know how to react in a pressure situation. We saw it against Tennessee in the playoffs. They've got the talent. I think they'll get to the playoffs, but they're not a Super Bowl-quality team because they, and you can bleep this out, they shit the bed when there is pressure on. And I'm sorry, that was a horrible <laughs> situation in New England uh, on Sunday night. The weather was crap, but they should have stepped up to the plate and they didn't do it. And if I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan, I'm looking at Lamar, who's meant to be the leader, and thinking, well, this game is based, you know, this this team is based around a tough defence and Lamar's running game. Why don't they go back to what they were doing last year? Forget that he can. he's a pocket passer, because I don't believe he is. He's not a transcendent pocket passer. Go back to what you can do properly, and then you've got a better chance of actually succeeding. But I don't think they've got the toughness to succeed in pressure situations. I so the, the the toughness thing I think is fair to a point because they have to they have to prove it. Um, the narrative on Lamar Jackson can't come back from ten points is something which has appeared in the last week. And the reason why it's appeared in the last week is because before the narrative was he can't win from behind. And of course, they played the Indianapolis Colts. They were behind at halftime and they won that game. So all of a sudden that doesn't count. It doesn't count as a big game because they were because the Colts aren't good, despite the fact they beat the Titans. This anyway, toughness thing all being well, that's fine. The, what, the biggest concern I have is that Greg Roman was a fantastic play caller last year and has not been as good this year. They had fourth and one against the Patriots and they decided to go wildcat with Mark Ingram. If you have Lamar Jackson, and for, for all his struggles as a passer this year, he's still arguably the best athlete in the NFL, considering for positions. If you have fourth and one and you go wildcat, like you're the New Orleans Saints with Taysom Hill, you're an idiot. There is no there is no excuse to, to have Lamar Jackson at wide receiver or off the field on fourth and one. One of the worst coaching decisions of the year. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get annoyed at the toughness thing because they do have to prove, you know, the same way they had to do it with Joe Flacco in 2012. They had to prove that he can get over the hump. They're gonna have to do the same thing with Lamar Jackson. But they're a they're a franchise that have done that twice before. So whether or not they get there with Lamar Jackson or not, I don't know. But I don't think they're not capable of it. I think they're soft. I've been saying for the last two three years that New Orleans are soft, and I think Baltimore is soft as well. Um, New Orleans are soft still, by the way. He's not listening. <laughs> no, we'll come, we'll come on to that in a minute. He's got he's not got his headphone plugged in because we kind of hear him. So he's muttering away there. But um, so yes, uh, we'll move on and we'll right down so we can hear you. Yeah, we, 
We can't hear you, Mitchell. Uh, he's waving. He's gesticulating. This is exactly the moment we should be taking all the cheap shots. But let's not. Let's at least let him into the battle before that commences. Um, right. Last couple of games to wrap up before we move on then. So the Chargers come up against the Dolphins. The Dolphins continue uh, an impressive season. Six and three. Uh, first time they've started six and three since 2001. It really is a changing of the guard in the AFC East with the Bills and the Dolphins where they are. Absolutely unreal. Um, and then that's uh, Chicago's fourth straight defeat after starting the season five and one and I I remember we posted from the NFL Scotland Twitter feed you know the all the teams that were currently unbeaten in that kind of muscle man lineup and it was one of these scrawny guys in the middle and that you know definitely represented the Chicago Bears because you're like how are they in this conversation absolutely honking and really you know as as bad as some of the calls might have been in Baltimore, every call in Chicago is bad. Every single one of them. There's just nothing on offense. I'm, you know, there was a definite point there where it felt like that single run by uh, Cardrell Patterson was going to out yard the entire Bears offense for the whole game. Uh, in the end, it wasn't a million miles away from doing that. So that's a, a stinking one. And we talked about this last week with Paul, but the Vikings now very much in the conversation for the postseason. So um, let's take this actually now to the postseason conversation. We are going to talk about the quarterback change in New Orleans, but we'll, we'll save that for later because I think this leads us nicely into where we're sitting now. After 10 weeks, we we know a lot about these teams. We're starting to see the shifts and trends. We're starting to see where the momentum is. We're starting to see how soft Baltimore are. So, you know, where does this go from a postseason conversation? Who are the teams that are actually going to progress? Who are the teams that we think are going to make the Super Bowl? And we're going to look at our uh, preseason predictions and, and really question whether or not they are still valid. One, can it happen at all? And two, do we still think it will? So... I'm, Which conference are we starting with? You can start wherever you want, Charles. You lead the conversation. Right, you well, want to take it. Um, let's start with the NFC because I've had plenty to say. And sitting top of the NFC are the uh, Green Bay Packers. Um, they have got flaws. There's no doubt about it. But I think they'll win the NFC North. Um, my, my prediction was for the Super Bowl for the Packers to play the Colts. And... I think that's still viable at the moment. But in terms of the NFC, I think it is a mess of a, of a conference. There are probably three teams, in my view, that are capable of reaching the Super Bowl and actually competing in the Super Bowl. I don't believe any of them are in the, from the NFC West. And let's not even go near the East because it's a massive dumpster fire. Um, it's the South or the North. And the two teams in the South that are vying for the division, um, the Eagles... Sorry, not the Eagles, the the, um, the Buccaneers and the Saints. I think both of them are Super Bowl quality. And I think the Packers are Super Bowl quality, but they're going to have to step up the defence. Beyond that, I don't think there is really a team in there that is capable of going to the Super Bowl and competing. I think in the West, it's wide open. You look at how wide open it is, and, and Seattle have been exposed as frauds, I think, because of how bad their defence is. Los Angeles are an extremely competent all-round team, but they have not got the X factor, in my view, to go all the way. They have got the best defence in that division. Arizona are fabulous to watch, but I think it's a year too soon for them. Although, if they continue to play the way they did it against Buffalo, there's a possibility there. So my my seven, I mean, the, the Packers are winning the North. I think it's a toss-up between the Saints and the Buccaneers for the South, and whoever doesn't win it is going to be... The, the number five seed. Um, in the West, I think you're going to see three teams come out. 
And I, you're going to have, I don't think it matters who's in the East, let's be honest, it's irrelevant because they're going to lose to the Buccaneers of the Saints in the first round of the playoffs. So I think it's pretty straightforward, you know, in terms of the, the, the teams that are in there. Because um, you're going to get three out of the West, two from the South. I don't think the Vikings are going to get enough games in the can to actually make a run for it. Um, but if they did, that would be very impressive. I, I think that they've maybe just left it a bit too late. But I don't think that the quality is there in the NFC. That The AFC as a conference has got more quality in it, especially at the top level. For me, I think... I'm going to jump in on this one on the Vikings. I think that the reason that the Vikings have a chance of making this is because of the NFC West. And it's so open that I think that the teams will take wins off each other. And therefore, you're not going to get two teams that end up on 11 victories. Um, Whereas you look at the games that the Vikings have still got to come. They've got the Jags. So let's... You know, that's a win. Cowboys win... Lions, probably a win. Bears, probably a win. There's four wins right away, and that takes them to eight. The, it's the other games that they've got. So they've got the Panthers, and that depends on, again, McCaffrey for me. You still think the Vikings can win that. They've got the Saints and the Bucks, though. And the Saints and the Bucks are two very difficult games. And I think that's the question mark around Minnesota's opportunity to try and make that into the postseason. What they're almost hoping for is that actually one of the teams in the West drops away. And if that team drops a, far enough away, then great. The conversation there, and we talked about Seattle, you know, you, you questioned them. Um, I have Seattle in my Super Bowl. No, I don't. I've got the Saints. <laughs> uh, Jamie Borthwick's got Seattle. I looked at the wrong one. I've got the Saints versus the Ravens. Um, I, I thought I would have the Seahawks because I do tend to put them there. I've got the Saints-Ravens. Um, but if we look at the Seahawks in particular, you look at the schedule that they've got left. They've got the Rams once and they've got the Cards once. Fine questionable tough games beyond that they've got the Jets Washington the Giants the Eagles and the 49ers I mean right now if you're picking five teams to play that you want to play I would say four out of five of those are in that order and maybe only the Giants fall out of it because they've got a little bit of form about them at the moment but Seattle are not going to face a tough run into the end of the season and I think that they can go on and win this division because of that we still can't hear you. So can hear Paul. I'll, I'll jump in. I'll Maybe jump in while Paul. Yeah, I'll jump in while Paul fixes my. I think the NFC is really interesting for that reason because I don't think there is a dominant team. I think all of them have their own flaws. You know, the NFC West, the Seahawks, very much are a Jekyll and Hyde team. Their defense is dreadful. Um, so if they're going to the Super Bowl this year, rather than their previous runs, it's not going to be heavily based on their defense. It's going to be entirely on Russell Wilson, on Tyler Lockett, on DK Metcalf. Um, the Cardinals, I think, are they were my pick at the start of the year, and I'm probably a little less bullish on it now, but they're they're young and talented enough that I think they can, you know, they can threaten there. But that youth at some point when Kyler Murray gets the playoffs, you know, that's a different level of pressure. We've seen loads of young quarterbacks in that first start in the playoffs struggle there. So um I, I it's hard to see past the Bucks or the Packers at this point. They both look, and, and I think when you get to the playoffs, it's the experience that will tell there as well. You've got two quarterbacks who've been there and done it. Um, you know, similar for the Seahawks, if they cannot have a, a, a Jekyll and Hyde moment in the playoffs, but they're doing it with such regularity that, you know, I just don't have a whole lot of faith. Um, but I would, on the other side, on the AFC side, before Paul comes back on, I find it interesting that, Charles still thinks his Colts Super Bowl pick is viable, despite the fact that they 
were up 10-7 against the soft Baltimore Ravens and proceeded to score <laughs> zero points in the second half at home and concede 17. It, it, it's, that, that's just some, some maths and statistics that just doesn't quite add up. Well, that's a fair point, but uh, they are leading the division and Tennessee are dropping like a stone. So they're going to win the AFC South. Um, the question is, is what's their seeding going to be and who do they get in the playoffs? And I think once you get in, you've got half a shot. Rivers has been in the playoffs before. He's failed before, um, but he's got a better de- defence and a better offensive line now than he's had in many years. So the AFC is going to be very difficult for anyone to get past Kansas City and Pittsburgh, let's be frank. But it's a more viable um, Super Bowl pick than I perhaps thought. I went out on a limb in, in August, I'll be frank. I, was, I went for a slightly different mindset. I think that you can, I can see Indianapolis getting 10 wins, possibly 11. I mean, they've got Houston twice and Jacksonville still to play. So they're going to get to nine wins. Um, and after that, I mean, the, it's gonna, there's a couple of really tasty games this weekend um, involving, I mean, the Colts are playing Green Bay. So that's, that's going to be a marker for both teams. The game I am really looking forward to this, this weekend is Kansas City going to Las Vegas because the Raiders are coming like a train and they will not win that division. But you do not want to be facing the Raiders the way they're playing in the playoffs because of the way in which they play their football. They've already beaten Kansas City, so they've proved that they can beat the, the top dogs. The question is, is can they string it together, get into the playoffs and continue to play that way? Because ultimately in January, it's about tough conservative football a lot of the time. It's about producing the goods in a pressure situation. This is what I come back to with Baltimore. I've been failed to do it last year. That's why I trust Pittsburgh. And if Pittsburgh get the number one seed, you don't want to go to have to play Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh in the championship game if you're Kansas City or anybody. So I'll tell you what, in the AFC, if you if I am not the Chiefs and I am any other team in the AFC, I would right now take an AFC championship game in Pittsburgh. Mm. I'd bite I'd bite your hand off for that. And that's not the Steelers are a good team. It's not, you know, it's not that they're not a good team. They're not nine and no good. They're, you know, that this is a you know, well, it's the it's the wind that count. That that really only rings true in the playoffs. Like up and you know, you debate whether or not someone is good enough. And the Steelers' defense is great, but they did give up 250 yards to Garrett Gilbert at quarterback last week. Their defense is great, but they gave up almost 300 yards on the ground to the Ravens the week before. They, their problem, though, despite the fact that they do have good. Uh, talented players on defense and I think that's the type of thing that can win you games in isolation because one big play by TJ Watt can you know turn the game and things like that Ben Roethlisberger now is not a quarterback who would scare me even remotely no he's a he's an oil tanker yeah and he is, but they've they've uh, see for me. I think that uh, we talked about this. I do think that Ben Roethlisberger is now actually you're in the conversation where when you're listing weaknesses, he's more on that side than he is on strengths for sure. He's not got the same sort of ability, and you know the last couple of games, obviously, he didn't really need to do much against the Bengals. They kind of struggled against the Cowboys. They got it done, I guess. Uh, he injured himself just before the half. I thought it was quite significant that he came out in the second half. Uh, and I think that that's something he's got a bit of robustness to him. That oh even- my god, uh, this is <laughs> this is the his entire career has been picking up like a stub toe, oh, and then he, 
And yeah. then he's carted off the side, and then he comes out in the second half, and oh, Ben Roethlisberger, so t- the man has had more niggling injuries and small injuries than anyone in recent in recent memory. But they don't. He's, uh, they he's, don't. He strikes me sometimes, uh, Big Ben. Yeah, you saw the winds howling through uh, central Scotland today. He reminds me of this mighty oak standing in the hill, ready to throw down the touchline to Deontay Johnson. <laughs> so, but, right, let's look at the numbers, okay? Because I hear what you're saying. I do hear what you're saying, Gordon. And there's part of me, part of me agrees with you. But I think it's a small part because I still think they're fairly relevant, right? They're 9 0. They can only beat who's in front of them. That's the old trope that we always roll out at this point. But you look at the numbers points for 271. There isn't an awful lot of teams have scored more points than them. You know, the highest scoring team in the NFL at the moment is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with 296. You've got the Seahawks with 290, the Chiefs with 286, the Packers 277. So six points more. Um, fine. Do you know what? That That's all fine. Uh, the Bills have scored one more point than, than them as well. But they've conceded the third least, you know, um, 171 points total. The only teams to have conceded less are the Rams with 168 and the Ravens with 165. So they're one of the, the highest soft, scoring. The soft, the soft Ravens. But they're one of the highest scoring teams. They're one of the teams that concedes the least amount of points. Uh, the defence is legitimately good. It might, it's legitimately yeah, good. It might feel a bit unclean of you to root for them or to, I don't, I'm not asking you to root for them it might feel unnatural with the compliments coming out of your mouth for the Steelers it might feel that watching the games it, it's not got the thriller chiller stuff about it it's not got the flamboyancy it's not got Kyler Murray or uh, Patrick Mahomes but what it's got is it's got wins it's just got nothing but wins and in this game that's all you can do you can just keep winning uh, and I don't think I think some of these teams won't fancy Pittsburgh in January because it'll be they've cold only, as hell. They've only played three winning teams, so it's a nine and zero, which is padded. But they're going to beat Jacksonville this weekend and go to ten and zero. Um, and don't forget, they had a very very early bye because of COVID. So they took a bye, I think, in week three. Um, so they they may well start to suffer down the stretch in terms of. Um, Perhaps they might they might get a bit leggy, but I'm looking at their schedule. They've got Washington the week after they play Baltimore. Um, they play, I think it's do they play Baltimore on Thanksgiving night? Yeah, thank, yeah. The, the late game on Thanksgiving. That's going to be an absolute cracker. And then they've got Washington, and they've got the Bengals and the Browns um, in two of the last three weeks. So those are divisional games. They've also got to play Buffalo and and, and the Colts. So, look, the Miami Dolphins from the 1970s are safe. They're not going to go 16-0, there's no doubt. Um, they, you, you could see them winning 14 games. You could see them winning 14 games. But whether they are the number one seed or not, I mean, it's it's going to be very, very difficult to tell. When, when you consider Kansas City, who are the only other team, I think, who've got a shot at it. Kansas City this weekend, we talked about it. They've got the Raiders. They've got to go to Vegas and play the Raiders, who've already beaten them. And then they've got Tampa Bay. And then they've got Miami two weeks after that, who are playing lights out. And then they've got New Orleans. So the Kansas City, have four, the next five games, four of them are against teams that are winning and playing well, yeah. including the Saints, with I, starting I, someone I, at I quarterback. So... Um, I, I I think they'll be the number one seed, the Steelers, because um, I think I think fourteen is very possibly so. Going undefeated, I think, is very difficult to do. But looking at their schedule, I kind of think fourteen wins is possibly their floor rather than their ceiling. 
Uh, they've got Baltimore and Buffalo are their two toughest games. I think they, you say they've got the Colts as well. Mm. It's a game they should still be favoured in. So if they can get past those, the, the two biggest of those, they, they are a realistic shot to be able to, to run the table and go 16-0. But the problem with, so there's two, I've got, I've got an absolutely ludicrous hot take that in my head I talked myself into this while I was doing the dishes tonight. <laughs> oh, dear. So, <laughs> number, the number one seed is allegedly, and for good reason, more important than ever now because it gets you a bye week and no one else in your conference gets a bye week because there's seven playoff teams. The NFL had a review that came out today. They're doing genome testing as part of their COVID testing. The, so they're able to work out like how you are catching COVID. The NFL players that are catching COVID aren't catching it, with the exception of Tennessee, I think, from players they're catching up from within the community there's a genuine case to be made that getting a bye week in that first week of the playoffs where players are then going to have a little bit more time and they're going to be spending more time in the community you're going to wind up with key players being, being not suspended but they're going to be taken out of the out of the game it's just my my wild hot take on actually being the number one seed might be bad that's a conspiracy you're just creating <laughs> you're just trying to make your uh AFC North rivals find an excuse to where it goes wrong because they've they've gone to, to Walmart to do the shopping on their bye week and they've caught COVID. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it's anyway, we can we can we can circle back if the Steelers get to their divisional round of the playoffs, they're coming off their bye week and all of a sudden they're missing eight players because of COVID restrictions. I'll I'll look like a genius. And then, unfortunately, my ex- my uh, exclamation that they're not as good as they're as everyone says they are will look really bad because they'll actually have lost a game based on the fact they lost players due to COVID. It's worth adding at this point that the claim that Gordon just made about COVID being caught by the Steelers during their bye week is disputed. Um, and we'll move on from there at that point. Um, I know how much you're enjoying the, that patter at the moment, Gordon. So. Oh, it's dreadful. <laughs> um, Mr. Mitchell's clearly sacked this, which is somewhat disappointing because we need to talk to him about Jameis Winston. We're holding on that until he comes back. I'm not having it any other way. He needs to be front and centre to hear this. He's put up so much noise this year, he deserves it. Um, I think think we should start though by discussing between the three of us as non-biased innocent observers of what's going down in New Orleans uh, as to whether they have made the the best um, off-season free agent backup quarterback um, signing in Jameis because he's now going to get a run a run of games here. You know, li- like him or love him or hate him as some people do, it's actually a good thing for them that they've got a guy who can just step in after he chucked five thousand yards last season, isn't it? Fuck it off! Oh, he's back! <laughs> oh, back. We can hear him. <laughs> uh, what? No, I, I, what, what, what timing? Now, I think you've got to look at this and, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of laughs about it and all that sort of stuff. But let's be honest, this isn't going to be a problem. The Saints are going to the playoffs and Breeze will be back in time. And I think you're absolutely right, Charles. You may as well see what Jameis can do in a real game situation. I think that's what most people in New Orleans are curious about, to see if he can come and do it. I mean, you're looking at the Falcons, Broncos, Falcons, Eagles. So you could win all four games, even with Winston in there. Kansas City, May. Uh, Minnesota, Carolina, get Carolina, get Drew Brees back for that, and it'll be fine. I don't see what the panic is. 
But the, 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 the point I made uh, on this increasingly entertaining WhatsApp chat is the fact that I don't think New Orleans' fate d- is determined by whether Jameis Winston's any good or not. It's determined by whether Kamara's fit and whether the defence steps up. Well, yeah, I mean, you've got a fair point. I think there's much more important players there. My my point is that the Saints will not win the Super Bowl with Jameis Winston at quarterback. That's not going to happen. If they've got a realistic chance of doing so, they need Drew Brees back there. Yes, they need Kamara because he's probably the best player um, on the team. So that's fine. Anything happens to him, um, there's certainly been a lot more problems because they've only really got Murray that's made such an impact at running back. But, you know, the Saints have got to look at this. I mean... It's interesting to see where they go. I mean, everybody knows I don't like Jameis Winston. I don't think he's a very good quarterback, and that's the main problem I've got with him. I like Taysom Hill, but if you put Taysom Hill in, you then take away all the gadget plays and the option plays that you've already got in the playbook. So I don't think there's much option. I think you're absolutely right, Charlie. I don't think they've got any choice but to start Winston. Now, I would rather they started Hill because I hate Winston as a quarterback, but that's not going to happen because it would. I think you're shooting yourself in the foot because you're disrupting yourself twice, you know, because, you know, Taysom Hill comes in and runs different plays and he gives you different things. They also use him in different places. The Saints have lost a couple of receivers already this year. Uh, they had another one, Traquan Smith, I think, got absolutely uh, blutered and is in concussion. So, again, it's, it's it's all about risk-reward. The Falcons, the Saints usually lose once to the Falcons, no matter how good the Falcons are, good, bad or indifferent. But you would expect to knock off the Broncos, knock off the Eagles, although the Eagles might be actually playing for a little bit more than the Saints at that time. It's, it's all about the seeding. I think not having Drew Brees will stop the Saints from getting the top seed in the in the NFC. It's also very important that we see Jameis because we need extra gifts that I can send on the WhatsApp <laughs> of him doing various Saints-like things, eating Ws, for example. And, um, you know, when he does eat a W next weekend, after he's thrown for 300 yards and four touchdowns, You'll feel good about it. That, you know you will. That W stands for walk-ons, Paul, and we've had dinner there ourselves. So anytime you see that, he's eating a walk-ons. Uh, not a sponsor. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. and we know how tasty that walk-ons is. Walk-ons is fantastic. Anybody down in New Orleans has got to get to walk-ons. It is the most amazing place going. Uh, they've got some nice staff as well, apparently, as Cameron told me. I was, I was just interested in the food and the beer. Um, but <laughs> I think it... it it's a chance to see what Winston can do. I don't like him as a player. I watched the, the whole game against San Francisco. He looked like a rusty quarterback. So I'll give him a pass for this week. Uh, let's see how he prepares against the Falcons. Let's see how he does against the Broncos. And then I'll assassinate him if he's rubbish. You've just reminded me of his story. I'm going to come on to this. I'm not letting this go because I think Winston's going to have a great end to the season. Oh, no, no, no. Stop. <laughs> right. But anyway, that was so bad that I got a static back off Paul's mic there. <laughs> anyway, you've reminded me of a story when you're talking about the staff and walk-ons because not only did we go to walk-ons in New Orleans, we went to walk-ons in LSU. Um, before the game, we went in. Massive, great big jug. I don't even know how many pints. I think it was like, it's a three-pint cup or something like that. It's something unreal anyway. Got one of these with a stupid mistake on my part, a 6.8 IPA. Three pints of 6.8 IPA before you go to the football. Probably not the best idea, but anyway. So we're in, we're on LSU campus and you're talking, everyone in there is drinking, so everyone's 21 or older. 
there are a lot of good-looking young men and women. It's a very pretty, um, very attractive campus beer location. So me and Paul are in there thinking, come on, this is this is something. Um, and I'll be honest, there was eyes being made at us. There was definitely eyes being made at I us. Hang on a minute. No, no, it's true. Let, honestly, you got to hear me out on this. And Paul and I looked across and we're like, I think that table over there are keep looking at us. Keep were you wearing your George Kittle shirt? I, no, I, we, were, we were just in casuals. We were not representing. Oh, we were going to buy some kits. No, no, no. We were just there. It was in, in Baton Rouge. Anyway, so in this beautiful bar full of people, uh, the table eyeing us up were at least mums, possibly grandmums of students. Um, I think the average age of the table was pushing 65, 70. Um, and they were definitely looking. And we sheepishly left and walked away. And I was like, is this the point I've reached in my life? I'm hanging out with Paul Mitchell and we're getting eyed up by grannies. That's just not necessarily what I wanted from my trip to LSU. Walk on, but they're, they, they don't walk off. Not unaided anyway. Um, it was... Uh, Funnily enough, I, I remember thinking, walking out of there, thinking, God, I go to New Orleans with Cameron and I end up getting grannies looking at Cameron. <laughs> that, that's just that's just the way the, the way it goes. But uh, yeah. you'll be pleased to know I was the designated driver for the evening, <laughs> thanks to Mr. Three Ton of IPA going down his... Um, yeah. And I tell you what, if my beer goggles were kicking in at that point, then gee whiz, the situation was even worse than I remember it. Um... <laughs> But anyway, sorry. Yes, right. Jameis Winston. So here's the thing with Jameis Winston. Um, here's the opportunity. When was the last time the New Orleans Saints had a quarterback in under center for any prolonged period of time that wasn't Drew Brees that was actually capable of being a, a, a passing threat? Last season with Teddy Bridgewater, we went 5-0. and <sighs> Right. So no, fine. not because of Bridgewater though. That like oh, Bridgewater, <laughs> Bridgewater in Carolina this year, yes. Bridgewater in New Orleans last year, and that's actually so. That's my concern about Jameis in New Orleans, is that what happened when Breeze got hurt is that they got very conservative, didn't allow Bridgewater to take a lot of risks. Jameis Winston, if you so this is for anyone that watches Friends, and hopefully most of our audience is old enough that they do. There's the episode Those where women Fun Bobby. Up in Baton Rouge yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's the episode where Fun Bobby goes sober because he's <laughs> realized he's an alcoholic. And all of a sudden, Fun Bobby is the most boring person on the planet. If you give me Jameis Winston and he is not just launching the ball downfield, doesn't care if it's a defender or an offensive player. It's going to be so boring. It's not the my worry is that the the dream of Jameis in New Orleans or the nightmare for Paul, is just not going to be the reality. And what we're going to get is this very conservative Saints offense that tries to win with Kamara in the defense. But the biggest problem for the, the the New Orleans Saints receivers is the fact that they don't know how to run beyond 15 yards off, off the scrimmage line. <laughs> they haven't done it in about four years. So, I mean, if he decides, oh, I'm going to launch one, he's going to look down the field and there's not going to be anybody there because they haven't, they've got it built into their psyche that... They've got to either stand behind the line of scrimmage or run a quick slant and, you know, go, you know, second and six. And then that's the way that they're built because Breeze can't throw the ball downfield. So you're actually having to change the game plan if you're if you're putting Jameis under centre and you want him to throw and make him fun Bobby. Um, it's, it's a totally different psyche. I, I think they will use Taysom Hill a lot just to mix it up a bit and make it interesting. 
we didn't have the tooth centre under, you know, the tooth fairy under centre here. You know, we actually had a quarterback who, when I last checked, has thrown more touchdowns than anybody else. Uh, in the NFL, who's the most accurate passer in the NFL? But apart from that, no, it's fine. You you go for it, my friend. Now you can't live in yesterday. This is this season, and he's not those this season. But um, yeah, listen, uh, Breezes clearly knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to lead this team. Michael Thomas. How, how how many quarterbacks? This is a dead serious question. And I actually thought the hit was a legal hit. I don't know how the San Francisco 49er guy was supposed to pull out. So I've got no problem with a hit whatsoever. So I'm not going to rant about the referees or anything like that. How many other quarterbacks in the league do you think could have got up and run a two-minute drill and got a touchdown in that pain that he was in? Big Fair Ben. Few. Big Ben. Big, Big ben, ben would probably do it. But you look and you wonder who would be able to go in there. Big Ben. I mean, because he he's feels robust. nothing. He's robust. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's robust. robust. I mean, yeah. mighty oak. Oh, you know, I mean, nothing will fail that man apart from hurting his pinky or stubbing his toe, <laughs> you know, something like that. But you look at that, and you do wonder that that shows great character for me. And you, you see that it took a long time for them to actually persuade True Breeze that he was going to have to sit down. You know, oh, it, he, it's he interesting. Stood there. He stood there with his helmet on. He didn't want to come out the game. There's no two ways. He yeah. did not want to come out the game. And I think that that's absolutely, that's definitely. Uh, a, a positive on the type of player that he is. Uh, I wouldn't want to come out of the game if I was concerned that Jameis Winston leading the team to the playoffs and looking great doing so would taint my legacy and people would suddenly think that I maybe wasn't as good as as uh, as what was advertised. No, I mean, if you if they'd sign Cam Newton and I had Cam Newton sitting behind him, I would take that argument. Jameis Winston is what Jameis Winston is, an interception machine. If you were to go and actually Google a picture of interception machine, you see a picture of Jameis Winston. You know, did, did, just, you say, did you say interception or entertainment? <laughs> <laughs> they go hand uh, he in was hand. A, he, no, he was entertaining for the Bucks because, I mean, the number of games he blew were late interceptions that basically made my Sunday night was fantastic. So, you know, I've, I've no problem. I just don't think he's a very good quarterback. I think Cam Newton's a good quarterback and a dick. I think Jameis Winston is a bad quarterback and also not a very great person. <laughs> why, why, why is Cam Newton... So Cam Newton gets so much hate, and despite the fact that he just beat the Ravens on Sunday night, he looked... Tremendous showing up to that game. He had a fez on. He had like a matching suit. He had like gold, gold spiked shoes. Like, admittedly, none of us on this call can pull off how Cam Newton looks. But he makes neither can he. (laughs) Look at look at this. Look at this ball bag. Cam Newton phase. It's on my notes. Okay. I've got no issues with how Cam Newton dresses, but I, I have to admit, I do. I don't. I don't know if it's because he's now at the Patriots that I've suddenly fallen into the Cam's a dick camp, and that's a statement for me to say as a fellow Cam. Um, I don't think Winston's a dick. I think that Winston was a bit unhinged, but you know, he gets a hard time in this, right? You go back through his years, and I'm only going to look at quarterback rating here right so you look at 2016 and he's rating this is according to espn um 86.1 you know 2017 and you're looking at a 92.2 so you know uh you go into 2018 and you're looking at where's he in the list he's a bit further down a 90.2 so you know we're not talking about a complete bum quarterback here he is he's definitely not um and, you know, he led last year in touchdowns. Finally led in interceptions as well. Philip Rivers, you know, we, we, we laud Philip Rivers, right, 
Philip Rivers threw for 20 interceptions last year and 23 touchdowns. Fine, Jameis did 30 and 33. I'd rather have a 33 and 30 than a 23 and 20. Eh, that's just me, personally. He had a very think, similar rating. It's, I can think of half a dozen teams that would take Jameis Winston right now and plug him in at centre, given how bad they are. The whole of the NFC East, probably, maybe bar the bar the, uh, the New York Giants. He is not a bum. He is a good quality quarterback in the right system when he's not got his hair on fire and I think he'll probably be controlled by by Peyton which is extremely boring for everybody else but um, listen this is a box office league I don't think it'll be too long before they let the shackles off and he'll be going tonto be great just they have to remember to tell the receivers to run down the field of course so so I think he's 28 and 42 as a starter um, I think it's an interception machine. But the last word on this has to go to Cameron. I don't know about you, Gordon or Charles, but if we ever go to court, for God's sake, don't get Cameron as your lawyer. Your Honour, he's not a dick. He's just unhinged. <laughs> what a defence that is of a quarterback. He, he was. He I, I, That whole eating his W was just the weirdest thing I've seen a player do on the field. It's just weird. I still haven't got over that. But he's in a new location now. He's he's enjoying life. And I I I look forward to seeing him thrive. I genuinely do. I think just, that just because just because we're in the era though of fact checking and making sure things are accurate and things being disputed. Yeah. Uh, Paul's claim that if you Google interception machine you get Jameis Winston. <laughs> Don't yeah. I, I'm scrolling down, I've still not seen Jameis Winston. In fact, I've actually seen a picture of Drew Brees before I seen James Winston. <laughs> <laughs> That's only because he was calling. That was only because he was calling James Winston an interception machine. That, <laughs> that, that was all. Look, I mean, we, it's very difficult when you support a team and you've got a player that you don't like. Cam, you've you've experienced that. It's a very difficult thing. You know, I've experienced it with football teams. I've yet to experience it with, with my baseball team, although they did make one signing and the guy went quickly away. It's very hard because you find your loyalty, you know, getting tested. We've all seen football crowds give players a hard time and all of a sudden he does something great and everybody jumps on the bandwagon and tells you how good he is. Let me put on the record now, I don't like Jameis Winston as a quarterback. I don't particularly care what he does. He's not going to change my mind on that, and I would rather he was not in New Orleans. But I agree with Charles. I think there's better parts to that team that are key. The running game, special teams I could do without them coughing up some punts and things like that. I still think the Saints have got concern at linebacker. Um, and if teams work out how to attack the Saints, as several have done, then I would be slightly concerned. I think quarterback may become the, the least of our problems. Right. Something that we've not done yet is we've not actually given out our, our awards for week 10. So we've kind of got derailed. We were so desperate to take shots at people on this podcast. Um, so let's go through some award nominations and let's give ours out at the end of this one. So uh, looking back at week 10, John Gemmell, first up, his belters, Ronald Jones, for his 98-yard touchdown. Beyond Bowfin for him is the Bears' offense. And Bob Ag is Miles Davis's dive, Chase Young's penalty, and Chubb running out and killing everyone who had the Browns on minus four and a half points to win the game. Um, or Chubb running out and ruining a few fantasy football uh, results, which, yeah, f- uh, fascinating. But the Miles Jack dive, well, let's just touch on that one, uh, against the Packers. I'm not sure if you've seen this because it was kind of skipped over, but obviously he sort of <laughs> he lies on top of Irvin, the running back. He gets picked up by a Packers 
um, offensive linesman, and then rolls about like uh, I'm trying to think footballer. of someone. Yeah, like a footballer. I'm trying to think of someone who's a good comparison. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Christian Ronaldo. Fine, we'll go with that one. Um, I was thinking. Um, yeah, it's fine. I'll not. Do you know what? I was going to bring it to Hearts player. Let's not do that. Um, <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo. But he rolled about all over the field uh, and 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 looked like a dick for it, didn't he? Yeah, we, we we don't see that too often, to be fair. Um, so yeah, you you don't want to say. It reminded me a little bit about the the spat. Was it the Steelers? Was it the Browns? at the Steelers at the end of last season? Oh. Mason Rudolph oh, yes. got a, and Miles Garrett. <laughs> yeah, it, it just got, it got all a bit silly. You know, I mean, these are top class athletes, and when they start to do some daft stuff like that, um, no, it, it doesn't look good on anybody, to be honest. For, for the legal legal ramifications of the NFL Scotland podcast, though, we definitely do not compare rolling around as if you've been hit to smashing someone in the face with a helmet. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was the Bob Baggery that followed. I think, I mean, that the kind of came around. And I mean, Mason Rudolph looked so scared after he'd done his part of the offence. So, yes. No, we don't recommend hitting anybody in the face with a helmet. That's that's very wise counsel. It's better legal advice than not a dick, just unhinged. So, well, well done for that, Gordon. Oh, so many pool quotes from this episode. Right, Ross Black, he's next up. His belters, Hopkins, what a catch. Bowfin, Philly again. Two weeks prep for a game against the Giants, and you put up a game like that. Zero for nine on third down conversions to shambles. Bobak for him was also Miles Jack for his embarrassing flop. Uh, SB, his belter, DeAndre Hopkins. Bowfin was the weather in the Ravens-Patriots game. And Bobag were the three Bills defenders that couldn't beat one guy to the ball. To be fair, they were trying to beat the best guy at getting that ball. Matt Ingster, who's done his specifically for the AFC East, Matt writes about the AFC East for the NFL Scotland website. His belter's Damian Harris for a great running game. Bowfin was the weather in New England. And Bobag, that can't even stick to the AFC East. It has to be Miles Jack. So, Lauren Callahan. Also, Hopkins, his Bowfin is the Eagles as well. Um, they had a chance to take control of the NFC East race, had two weeks to prep, and they still screwed the pooch. And Bobag is Miles Jack's flop. So there you go. Uh, Miles Jack getting a lot of love today. Uh, Chris Breen, Belter, DeAndre Hopkins, Bowfin, the Eagles. Bobag, Doug Peterson, going for two when you're down by four is one of the most idiotic things I've seen outside of Bill O'Brien. Meant Eagles needed to chase a touchdown of instead of getting into field goal range. And I'm going to take a moment to pause while we stoke this fire. Because <laughs> this is another one that was debated between Mr. McGuinness and Mr. Mitchell uh, over the weekend. Um, and I think I'm still in Camp McGuinness on this. Uh, so, Charles, you can have the cast and vote. Uh, the well, two, you can the make only, your cases. The only thing I would say on this um, is one word, analytics. And uh, we all know what that <laughs> means. Um I I couldn't care less to be honest with you. I was going to nominate um, Bowfing uh, as the Eagles just generally as a franchise <laughs> at the moment for persisting with Carson Vince. But analytics, and then I'll leave the floor to the two warring parties. So, right, the one the big mistake people make when they think about this, and it infuriates me every single time. And this is not that that decision by the Eagles was not some like. You know, you have to do this. You have to go for it. You know, it's it's something you're making a decision on. The whole point of analytics is to give you the best information possible to make decisions that give you a slightly greater margin. Maybe it increases your potential chance to win the game by 1% or something like that if you're successful. When you go into that position and you say, as our um, tweeter has said, 
kick the extra point, you're now, you're now only need a field goal. And that's fine. But if you only need a field goal and then the other team go down and they kick a field goal, you still need a touchdown. If you need two points and you kick a field goal, you've won the game. If you need two points and if you need, sorry, if you need two points, three points or four points and they go and score a touchdown, you still need two touchdowns. Give yourself the best chance, one at winning when you have the ball at the end and two, know what you need to know heading into your final drives. This is why when a team is down by uh, 15 points, you go for it on the first time you score a touchdown, not the second. Because you go for it in the first, if you don't go for it in the first, you're down eight points. You then go for it in the second with two seconds left on the clock and you don't get it, you've lost. Because you're now you now no longer know. Whereas you can rechange your game plan if you go for it the first time, don't make it. You now know you need two touchdowns. So you now know you need to score quicker, you need to score faster. That's the whole point in analytics. And I get why people are scared by this, especially because it's something that a decision is being made based on what is not on the field. But it's something that people just need to accept is prevalent in all sports now. People are making decisions based on what to do at corners in football. They're making decisions what to do in fourth down in the NFL and two-point conversions. And I thought it was a great move because you're trying to go win a game, you're trying to go win a division. Put yourself in a position where a field goal wins the game. Don't. Overtime in the NFL is horrendous these days. No one wants to watch 10 more minutes of the NFC East. Just give us some really good games. That's it. I'm done. That's my case. Analytics are interesting things. So if I can take it to baseball. Game six of the World Series, Tampa Bay Rays, Blake Snell, former Cy Young Award winner, is pitching utterly lights out. Now, the analytics will tell you that the time was right to pull him and put in a different pitcher because third time through the lineup, your ERA goes up. And that's what Kevin Cash had done all year long. And the analytical suggestion was to take him out. What I think Kevin Cash got wrong in that situation is he didn't read the game. And at that point, it was game six, the World Series. You've got a Cy Young winner on the mound who'd struck out the best three batters the last time they were up. So to me, analytics are great as long as you combine them with what you're seeing and you're not a slave to them. Now, Kevin Cash has been absolutely panned right across the American media for what he did but he's getting panned for the wrong reasons. He was right, I think, in his decision most times to do it. I think he ignored his eyes and went with the analytics rather than bringing them together. Regarding the disagreement, Gordon and I, it depends what, on where you are in the game. I take the extra point because I think I've got a better chance of getting a field goal. I fully accept Gordon's reasoning if the Eagles thought they were going to win. Now, if the Eagles were playing the Chiefs, I might have gambled. They weren't. They were playing the Giants, who are pretty crap. So to me, the safer play was get the three points and go from there. Because to me, you could be going for the end zone to, to get the touchdown to win the game, knowing you've got the comfort of the field goal should you not get there. So I think as long as analytics are used in the right way, I've got no problem with them. And different coaches are going to do different things at different times. I don't agree with the way the Eagles played it, but that's entirely up to them. Exactly. The interesting thing with that, so, and this is, and I don't want to lump you in this and the, the, Paul, because there is like a, a lot of people who their view on analytical decisions are entirely based on the result and not the process. So the, the Tampa Bay Rays thing, um, 
was everyone looks at that as a bad decision because they lost. The flip side is that's what they did all year. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So there, there is part of it which is you know you have to you have to read the game and you have to know and and that's something whereby from an analytics perspective, you know there's there are things like momentum and there are things like general feel of a player and you know a player going on a hot streak and those things that analytics can't take account of not because they don't exist but because they, they, you can't quantify them you can't quantify what happens when a team have fallen behind and uh, after being in the lead and stuff like that but it's something whereby we don't have that discussion unless it goes wrong and that's the only the only time that we spend an awful lot of time talking about analytics these days is when a team do something and it doesn't work that's Whereas the, the word analytics is a trendy word for 2020, but <laughs> years. it's just a, it's just another way to talk about risk and reward. Yep. Let's be frank. And the risk is the risk outweighs the, you know, the, the reward out, you know, outweighs the risk factor of losing when a lot of these things. It's a win game. The thing about American sport is you can't draw. They hate draws. They hate ties. They, they, they bang on about ties for weeks and weeks. So if you're going to do, I mean, it's, I think it's different in a sport that's not, um, the NFL or baseball as well, whereas, you, you know, I don't think analytics or risk-reward issues matter as much in rugby or football as they do in American sport because it's all about the win. Um, and let's be frank, it didn't matter in the end because the Eagles are so bad that they lost anyway. <laughs> they didn't get another opportunity to go and score. <laughs> um, it's a fascinating conversation. I love it. I love it every week in the NFL Scotland WhatsApp chat it's one that i look forward to as it continues through the season it's a great debate for me it's the scottish uh it's the scotland nfl equivalent of chris boyd arguing with ian cathro's laptop uh nobody's a winner uh the laptop's quicker um we'll move on and we'll go through some of the other awards here as well before we come around and give our hours phil spears his belter cardinals game was just terrific bowfin the hopkins catch made work the next day on only a few hours kept a really long day. Bob Ags, Saints as a whole, that video of them... Um... Yeah, okay, um, I'm not sure. Saints as a whole, the video of them and all their coaches after the Patriots game, no masks. There was a, there was a video a video of them celebrating without masks or something like that. Right, which... okay. Yeah, and and, it... uh, no, 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 hang on. There's also a video of the Bills doing this and other teams doing this. You're going to find the Saints fine everybody. Now, if you want conspiracy theories, this was announced on game day. It's the kind of thing that, you know, teams do not like and as if somebody was trying to upset the Saints. I don't buy into all that. But if you're going to find the Saints fine, everybody else are doing exactly the same. Um, in I, fact... I didn't even see this as a thing, to be perfectly honest. So I wasn't even aware of this. <laughs> so it was a rubbish conspiracy theory. Um, it didn't, I, <laughs> didn't I, make blame, it I blame Jameis. Just blame Jameis. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll move on. We'll move on from that one. Um... James Whitson, Belter, Hopkins, Bowfin, 49ers special teams, giving up one long kick return and muffing two punts, allowed the Saints to start three drives just outside the red zone. And as a result, going adrift 17 points, very fair. Bob Ag, ref that threw the unnecessary roughness on the breeze sack. Um, Polly, our resident Tampa Buccaneers fan, Belter for him was the Murray miracle. Um, is it the Murray miracle or the Hopkins Hail Mary? 
Who gets the Hail, credit? The Hail, Murray, the Hail Murray is what I've heard people describe it as. The Hail Murray. The, so, so the thing with thing with Hail Mary is the quarterback's job is literally just get it to the end zone. And then, so it, it's far more Hopkins. But the thing I thought was really impressive, and Paul touched on it earlier, Murray gets himself out there, he's thrown off balance, and he still has the velocity on his arm to go, what, 53, 54 yards in the air. Like, that's... Yeah. Not every not every quarterback in the NFL can do that. There's you know a handful: Mahomes, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, Murray. There might not be many more than that. Rodgers did it twice in that stadium in one yep. game, incidentally. So I hope we're going to start comparing DeAndre Hopkins to Jeff Janis. Caught <laughs> <laughs> both Marys that day. Right. Okay. Where is Jeff Janis? We need a bit of love for Jeff Janis after DeAndre Hopkins copied him. You could you could write some Texans think pieces on why DeAndre Hopkins trade was a good idea if you compared it to Jeff Janis. There's a scenario where Jeff Janis still ends up back at the Texans playing as well in that whole conversation. Right, um, Paulie's his bowfin is the Eagles. Oh, I gave a special mention to Rojo's 98 yard making uh, Bucks history as well. But ball back for him, Antonio Brown with his latest reported misdemeanor two weeks before signing for the Bucks. Watch your surveillance camera, guys. Um, yeah, more Antonio Brown, but we've had enough ball bag chat for him. So a couple more before we go on and give our own. Zero Doc 40, Belters, Kirk Cousins, Cojones for tackling Khalil Mack. Bowfin is the Bears offense. Total yards was almost eclipsed by Cardinal Patterson, as we were saying earlier on. And ball bag is Chase Young for a brainless penalty that ruined the Alex Smith comeback fairy tale. Couple more nominations in here for Hopkins. One belt a nomination for the Giants, improving every week and going on to win the division six and ten. Bowfin to me, um, uh, this is a guy that I'm in a fantasy league with because I sent a rendition of myself doing "Yes, sir, I can boogie" because I beat his team due to that Hopkins hail mary. I was losing by a point as it was the last player out and I was losing by a point on the final throw. Touchdown, won the game. He's top of the league. I'm at the bottom. I'm not at the bottom anymore. He got a video on WhatsApp yesterday morning. He's no happy. Uh, Matt McLaughlin, last one then. Belter, Marcus Valdez-Scantlin. Even Devontae Adams would have been proud of his numbers this week. Bowfin is the Packers' D. Uh, Petting must be on thin ice by now. And ball bag for him is Nick Chubb for his one-yard... One line step out but that was the right play for his team so we can't give him that guys very quickly we'll go through this uh, who's your belter for week 10 Paul let's start with you it is Hopkins and Murray with an honourable mention to Kirk Cousins who was 0-9 on Monday Night Football and finally won a game oofed oofed uh, Charles uh, I'm going to go slightly left field I mentioned them earlier um, the winds are blowing and the autumn wind is a raider and they are playing tough football. They've been very, very, very good indeed in the last three weeks. And I think that they could knock off Kansas City again at the weekend. And I think that they are the form team in the AFC, apart from the aforementioned Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> Gordon. I I think I'm going to go for, just in general, the Bills and Cardinals game. The ending to that was brilliant. Um, you know, The Bills on merit probably deserve to win it, with the exception of you know, a ludicrous play at the end. Uh, and it was just really good fun. Josh Allen in general has been great fun to watch this year. Yep. Uh, for me, I think Belter has to go to that game as well. I th- thought it was absolutely tremendous. Uh, really high entertainment. You know, what I watched Red Zone and it spent most of the time on that game, really, and deservedly so. It was just a constant highlight reel, the whole thing. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, Bowfin nominations then. We'll work in reverse order. I'll start there. Uh, Bowfin, for me, I, I, goes to the Texans. I think that the Texans find the, the weather was a bit rubbish in Cleveland as well, but they just... 
absolutely inept. There's just nothing there at all. Um, you know, Deshaun Watson got something going sort of in the second half, but they were just really, really poor. Now, the Browns are good. They're a much improved team, but they're not that good. Um, and I think that, yeah, the Texans... I, I think the Texans even more baffling because, once again, it highlights that DeAndre Hopkins trade and how absolutely stinking it was. Uh, it stinks to high hell and heaven and wherever else it stinks. So, yeah, baffling for me. Gordon? Baffling for me is the realisation that there's a very good chance that the winner of the NFC East might have five wins this year. Originally, it was kind of like, oh, we're going to get a seven-win team out of the NFC East. Then it was like, wow, maybe it might even be six. There's a pretty realistic chance, based on how their schedules shake out, that the Eagles win that division at 5-10-1, or maybe the Giants win it at 6-10. It's going to be dreadful. The way the NFL works, they're probably then going to knock a team out that have got like five more wins than them in the first round in the playoffs because just luck hits that way. It's just a horrible division. It's the worst division in the history of football this season. It's terrible. Charles. The Jets. They didn't play, but they're just shit. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, yeah, I think it has to be said. Also, uh, I mentioned the Eagles. The Eagles are, for a team that's two years or two and a half years off winning the Super Bowl, abysmal, utterly abysmal as, a, as an offensive unit. They're appalling. But the Jets, I'm going to just nominate the Jets every week at this rate because even when they don't play, they're awful. Paul. It's interesting what Gordon said about the NFC East. I would like to go back if I had the time. There was a time where the NFC West was an absolute hellhole of a division. Um, and it'd be interesting. I need to look back and see if it was ever as bad. I'm not sure it was ever as bad. I can answer this. 2010, yeah. the Seattle Seahawks uh, won the division with a 7-9 and nine record. Right. So, so that's what they're aiming for. So it was a great point from Gordon. So I was really interested in that. Now, so we're on Bowfin. <laughs> If the law of the game says that you have got to throw a penalty flag on that hit-on breeze, there's something wrong with the game because the guy wasn't going to take out Drew Brees. I mean, what's he supposed to do? You know, I mean, he did land on him, but if you hit somebody like that, you're going to land on them. You can't, you know, have a conscious uncoupling in midair and throw yourself to the side. It doesn't happen that way. So I think that's going to be looked at. I thought that was a boofing. Uh, decision. Now, that would have been my winner, but apparently, and I've, I've just heard this in the last five, ten minutes, apparently somebody on the NFL Scotland podcast recorded a version of themselves doing Yes That I Can Boogie. <laughs> now, I can't imagine how that would not win the Bowfin Award. I've not seen it. I'm only going on supposition, but my God, there's things you won't be able to unsee if you ever see it, and that would be one of them. So someone else on this podcast has seen it, uh, and I'll let him now jump in and share his thoughts on that one. Does it deserve a Bowfin Award? So alone it doesn't, but considering the fact that someone, the same someone who sent me that video, also uh, felt the need to slate the singing of that song or the origins or <laughs> supposed origins of that song, I think that coupled together does make it a Bowfin Award. 
two faces. Uh, listen, I've got more than two faces. I've got several. It depends on who I'm speaking to at the time, and I'll. Couldn't care less. Yes, yeah, we'll not go into that whole song and its origin. Um, incidentally, it's worth noting that seven and nine record for the Seahawks in 2010. That was the first time that a team ever made the playoffs was with a losing record, other than 1982, which was shortened due to player strike. So that's a bit of an anomaly there. So it'll be interesting to see if a team does make the postseason with a worse record than seven and nine. And like you say, Gordon, there's a there's a solid chance of that happening. Bum division. Um, okay, right. Bob Ags, gentlemen. It's time for Bob Ags. Um, another pool quote from this podcast. Uh, do you know what? I'll let our, our semi-regs kick this one off and we'll come to you first, Charles. Who's the Bob Ag of uh, the week? The person on the NFL Scotland podcast who hasn't sent me this video of this <laughs> dance. <laughs> Oh, there's a um, whole backstory. There's a whole backstory. Well, right. um, indeed, but this hasn't gone viral yet. Um, who else? Who's a ball bag? Um, Alexander Mitrovic for complaining about his penalty. Um, anyone in the Chicago Bears who actually thought that Nick Foles was going to be a viable option as a quarterback. Uh, I did. I like the fact that Matt Nagy gave up his play calling duties to Bill Lazor, which is the greatest name. Um, and they proceeded to have the accuracy of not a laser. Um, yeah, they're they're uh, they're doomed, and they're fi- they're they're at five hundred. They're at five and five. And yet they're doomed. Yeah, they won't be for long. Oh, they will be next week still because they've got a bye yeah. week. The, but the after front, that, <laughs> the, the front office of the, uh, the the Chicago Bears and the Detroit Lions, which makes it great to be a Packers fan because half of the division is rank rotten. Funny thing with that trade. Before I get to my ball bag, is that the, the the trade that has led to the Bears being the position they're in is the one that everyone thought was going to win them the Super Bowl. Trading for Khalil Mack, and Khalil Mack's great. But if you make a big blockbuster trade when you don't have the answer at quarterback, it's an absolute nightmare for you in two years' time when you realise you don't have a quarterback. And all of a sudden now, you're in, in a big, big in big trouble there. The, the ball bag for me is easy. It's it's Antonio Brown. It's, it's always Antonio Brown. Let, let him back in the NFL even before he came back in. It's even, so not even just him though, the fact that, so I don't know if the Buccaneers knew for definite or not, that's the thing I can't quite get, but they released a statement that could have fit in a single tweet, which basically just said, we're aware of it, whatever, he's been great since he's been with us, he's been very mature. I mean, he's got form now. Mike Tomlin probably deserves a medal for what he put up with in Pittsburgh because there's no way that this has all just suddenly happened in the last year and a half. Yes, indeed. Mr. Mitchell. Okay, so there's two awards here. There's a future one because this potentially might happen. Cameron has recorded yesterday. I can boogie back at us. Other hit was Sorry, I'm a Lady. If you do a video to that, that's it. It's over. <laughs> um, my ball bag, I, Cam Newton for wearing a fez. I'm sorry, nobody wears a fez. That's just Bob Baggery. I'm saying, stop it. Just go to Slater's, get a suit and a shirt and tie and get on with it. Twat. I, I, wish, I wish my nomination had come afterwards because my nomination would be Paul Mitchell for nominating the guy as Bob Ag because he wore a fez. Who wears a fez? Seriously? Tom, I mean, Tommy come Cooper on. Did. Tommy Cooper did. Yeah, look what happened to him. <laughs> Jeez. Right. Some decorum. Some decorum. Actually actually I have I have a late nomination um, and this is difficult audio wise, but um I, I've got to say Bowfing is probably the jersey that Gordon's wearing. Quick. <laughs> I know it's November and we're trying to get festive in this terrible world, but uh, I can only be described as 
a light up Baltimore Ravens Christmas jo- sh- jersey with some surprising Pittsburgh Steeler colors in there too. So <laughs> hold it up again, Gordon. You're it's get- purely rank. Come on. Let's let's get this. That's perfect. Let's get that. Yeah, it's uh, it's something special. It's definitely something special. Right. Uh, so I'll close it off then. Bob Ag for me. I'm going to give it to Miles Jack because that flop was just, uh, you know, there's so many people have said it this week. He absolutely deserves it. That was just rank. Absolutely rank rotten. Total Bob Agary behavior on his part. We don't want to see that in the NFL. It doesn't fit in any shape or form flopping around like that. I'm not a fan of the players constantly calling for a flag. You know, to me, that triggers me in the same way that you see players calling for the yellow card and stuff like that. It just, like, fine, look at the referee, but that hand gesture just, oh, no, go away. Um, it's, It's my second least favourite thing this season after the word tuddies, which I've still not got over and won't get over. I just, that that's my instant trigger this year. Um, but anyway, right, that concludes our awards for this week. And we're getting towards the end of this, but before we go, if you've enjoyed this absolutely inane, blithering chat that we've had this evening, well, you can get some more of it very, very soon because we're having a couple of live events to celebrate the Thanksgiving games. On the Thursday Night Football, For the three games, we're setting up a Zoom call um, where you can come and join us. And we're all just basically going to sit on this Zoom call, watch the games and chat about it together. All about getting a bunch of football fans together for Thanksgiving. Sit down, have a blether and we can all share our horrible, crappy opinions. Won't that be fascinating? And the best bit about it is is we can all um, watch Jameis Winston. We can all watch Jameis. Oh no, are the Saints playing at Thanksgiving? Well, we can still talk about him. Yes, we can talk about him. We will be able to go more long form, which I think is great. Yes, which will be good. Um, Yeah, because, sorry, camera. I might tell the story about how the NFL Scotland podcast managed to get Ariana Grande and positions to number one in the UK chart, because I think we've got to take the credit for that. But that's a long story. We don't have time on this podcast. We definitely don't have time for it on this podcast. But to, to, to come to that and to come to our Sunday night event, you need to buy one of our party packs with Stuart Brewing. Now, we've sold well over half of these. There's not a lot left. Uh, they're very limited numbers. You get eight beers. You get a, a NFL Scotland bobble hat, which is going to be great for the winter months. It's lovely and warm. We uh, The people that have received them already, lots of very positive feedback, which is great. It's 30 quid. That gets you eight beers, the hat. That gets you access to two events. We've got loads of competitions to give away. Check out our Twitter feed. Check out our Facebook. Check out the NFL Scotland website. There's going to be information about them all there. Uh, we hope that you can buy one of those packs. We hope you can join us for the Thanksgiving weekend. So that event on the Thursday night, then we're having another event before the games on the Sunday. Lots to look forward to. Lots to announce ahead of those. Uh, hopefully you can join us. But any other stories before we wrap up, guys? Yeah, just to say that I will mention on next week's podcast the results of the awful announcing announcers awards that have come out uh, just in the last day. I want to have a little look through them and provide some comment on that. We've spoken about announcers before, so we'll do it again. The only little tease I will give you is that the Monday Night Football crew, because they don't have Booger McFarlane, have moved off the bottom. (laughs) I can't wait to find out who's taken their place. Um, That to look forward to. But that concludes everything, and it is the full-time whistle for episode 100. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Make sure you check us out on Twitter at ScotlandNFL and on Facebook by searching for NFL Scotland. They tried to rile me up, but I 
really pleased they came all the same. Giles Patterson and Gordon McGuinness, thank you both for joining us here on the NFL Scotland podcast. Do check out the NFL Scotland website full of terrific information and do look forward to another round of great games coming up this weekend. And we'll be back next week to talk all about them. Until then, bye for now.